long for intimate connection, crave the simple comfort of a loving embrace, tire of wandering the electronic section, searching for a soulmate you're worried may never appear. Do you want to get plowed? Yeah! <laughs> of course you do. Welcome to this episode. My name is Harmony and today I want to talk about dating. Can you recall the worst date that you've ever been on? Was your date maybe like too talkative, didn't talk enough? Maybe they had like really, really bad manners. Maybe they had poor table manners, just a little about yourself. I can't smile no more. Possibly you guys had differing views in politics and that was where you were like, nope, can't do this. Or maybe there was just no spark, no connection. Yeah, sure, they're pretty on a screen. On paper, they're fantastic. In person, they have the personality of a wet towel. Every day, however, millions of people scroll through dating apps like Tinder, OkCupid, and all the others out there in hopes that they will find either a simple little fling, something casual and fun, or even their soulmate. Most of the time, people use these apps with the purest of intentions, albeit maybe to ghost you or have a one-night stand, but more often than not, they don't have a lot of evil doings in their mind. However, there are some that have incredibly sinister plans. And I'm not talking about someone who doesn't call after the fact. You see, some people use dating apps to con people out of money or to even take, you know, your life. Without any further ado, I'd like to share with you several stories as to why I will stick to the organic form of dating. You can download your apps and scroll through your plenty of choices. And who knows, maybe someone will come across you and they'll think, oh my god, this is who I've always been looking for. This is exactly the person I want to kill. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, it's a match. I was always a little skeptical about things on the internet. I'd tried other dating sites before, but all of that self-examination was exhausting. When you're swiping left and right, you're not thinking about who you really are or what you want out of life. This isn't about finding the one. No, it's about finding anyone who's willing. <laughs> Dating apps are great for you to meet people that you wouldn't just casually bump into. It's a great way for you to get to know someone and chat, all without that like pressure of face-to-face -face or the guise of a date. You get to just kind of exist and see if you like the person on the other side of a screen. It's really perfect for kind of like dipping your toes in the water. Dating apps, in a sense, kind of let you handle things at your own pace. And I may be hyping them up in a sense, especially if you're an introvert and never leave your house like me, dating apps would be the way to go. However, 
The very, very dark side of dating apps is exactly what keeps me from them. And yes, side note, I have been on them before and I will probably never do that again because they are scary. There truly is a dark side to online dating that many of you may not be aware of or how intense it is. Online dating murders are happening more and more. There have actually been serial killers that have used dating apps to lure victims. Now I'm not telling you these to scare you away from the apps altogether. If my stories kept you from doing much, they would keep you from literally existing because monsters, murderers, and killers are everywhere. Sometimes they're literally sleeping right next to you. It's like you're just not safe anywhere. I'm just here to educate you and remind you that that fancy little person that you just swiped right on because they're so hot may be the last face you ever see as their hands are wrapped around your throat. And I don't mean that in a kinky way. You might not think that this is actually an issue, but it is. Katie Locke was only 23 when she was murdered on her first date with a man that she met on Plenty of Fish. Grace Milan was only 22 when she was murdered on a first date by a man she met on Tinder. Anthony Walgate was 23. Jack Taylor, 25. Daniel Whitworth, 21. Gabriel Cavari, 22. And so many more. All of these murders are brutal and heartbreaking, but most of all, they could have been prevented. If only dating apps truly vetted people before allowing them to join. The 911 call coming in after 3 a.m. in the morning of May 24th. The caller, 24-year-old Ethan Hunsacker, is back from a Saturday night date. They just met on Tinder that night, had gone out for some drinks, and they ended up back at his house where they planned to uh, watch a movie and spend some time together, which they did. Police say his date, Ashlyn Black, fell asleep at his house. And at one point he woke up and uh, for some unknown reason, completely unprovoked, uh, he decided that he was going to kill this young woman and he did. The first dating app horror story I have for you is the case of Ashlyn Black. Ashlyn was a 25-year-old woman who lived in Layton, Utah. She was chilling one night, just going through Tinder, swiping right, left, right, left, left, right, when she suddenly matched with a 24-year-old by the name of Ethan Hunsacker. That very night, they agreed to go on a date. So Ethan headed over to Ashlyn's place, picked her up, and they went to a local bar. They chatted for a while, sharing a few drinks and getting to know one another. Everything must have gone really well, and they seemed to have hit it off because Ashlyn went back to Ethan's. You know, little Netflix and chill. Although when they walked in, instantly Ashlyn was like, huh, you don't have a lot of furniture in this house, do you? Because he didn't. It was pretty barren, and I'm not trying to knock him down. You know, he had his own place. That's more than a lot of people have these days. It's expensive out here. But the man was rocking like an air mattress in a lawn chair. Anyways, the two did engage in a few intimate activities if you catch the drift. Brown chicka brown care. <laughs> then afterwards, of course, they did a little cuddling because if you don't cuddle after sex, you are a monster. This all happened, by the way, on the floor because he really didn't have a lot in his house. After 
a little bit of time, I guess they both fell asleep because Ethan suddenly woke up and he started choking Ashlyn as hard as possible. This is exactly what he would end up telling the police, by the way. Ashlyn didn't lay there and take it. She tried to fight Ethan off as hard as she could the whole time. But sadly, she would fail. And suddenly, as he's choking her, he stands up, grabs a four-inch pocket knife, and begins to stab her. He stabs her over and over again in the sides of her body, her chest, and even her back. He watched her for 10 minutes as she lay there dying and bleeding out. Then, as she was absolutely positively dead beyond any means of help, he called 911. This was around 3.20 in the morning, and he began to tell them what happened as he turned himself in and said he wanted to die. He told the dispatcher he didn't know Ashlyn and that he would like the officers to arrive at the scene in order to kill him because he was done with living. Leighton police officers showed up to the residence and found multiple stab wounds on Ashlyn's body. The fire department also arrived on the scene and tried to save Ashlyn's life, but it was just too late. She was announced dead at the scene and Ethan confessed to the police that he had some mental issues and he was struggling with a lot of thoughts of maybe taking a few murderous actions and even suicide. Ethan Hunsacker would end up pleading guilty but mentally ill in June of 2021. He was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison, meaning he does have life in prison and he has to serve a minimum of 15 before they will even think about possibly giving him parole. Before he even begins his time in prison, he is at a Utah state hospital for his mental illness and that he has to be there for at the very least 18 months and he is still currently at one. And that is the case of Ashlyn Black and Ethan Hunsacker. A pair who matched on Tinder, within hours decided to meet and have a few drinks go on their very first date and see where the night takes them, only for the night to take them to murder town. Murderville? Nope, Netflix could sue me for that one. Okay, well it ended in death and uh, population them, it didn't go so well, so yeah. Think about that next time you're swiping. And if it wasn't enough for you, let's talk about another one. Morning, Lincoln and Omaha and probably several other places. This is Aubrey Trail and this is Bailey Boswell. I guess y'all also know her as Audrey. But we've spent the last few days watching ourselves being slammed and crucified in the newspapers and the news and everything else. So we thought it was time we had our say. The Lincoln Police Department apparently wants everyone to believe that we're hiding, that we haven't talked to them, that we're avoiding them. You've already crucified us in the newspapers. You've already crucified us on Facebook. You know, in America, I sure thought it was a trial first, but I guess not. You've heard all of this stuff about my criminal history. All true. As far as I know, I'm not wanted for anything. I'm a person of interest and I'm not really running from anything. I pray for Sydney. I hope she's found soon. Um, I wish the family the best. Uh, I'm sorry that she wasn't with you on Thanksgiving. And that's pretty much all I can say for now. So uh, this has pretty much cost me my life. And 
I appreciate that from the Lincoln Police Department and the FBI and all those other agencies. Here's Bailey to tell you whatever she wants to. Hi, good morning. I'm Bailey. Audrey on Tinder, and this really isn't about me. This is about Sydney. I met her on a Tuesday. We drove around Lincoln, smoked weed, had a great time. We hit it off. Picked her up the next night at her house. We drove around, smoked weed again. I went to take her home and she asked me to drop her off at a friend's house. So, I mean, I haven't heard from her since. I just, I guess I just want the family to know that I'm truly sorry and I didn't have anything to do with this. And I hope that Sydney is found very soon. She is a sweet, amazing girl. I hope also that Sydney's found soon. We wish the family the best. We're sorry you're going through this. The police department is going to do what suits them best. Yeah, I know that's coming from a criminal, so, you know, you'll believe what you will as far as the police department is concerned. But as far as I'm concerned, what they're chasing us around like dogs, I wish the family the best. I mean, no disrespect to anyone. I wish Sydney the best. But as far as the police department, f you. When a 24-year-old by the name of Sydney Loof didn't show up for work on the morning of November 16th in 2017, her co-workers knew something was wrong. Normally, she was dependable, responsible, and extremely reliable. She would have been there or at least called. When she didn't answer her phone and calls were going straight to voicemail, messages were not being returned, they immediately knew something wasn't okay and phoned the police. The police went to her home, but nothing seemed to be out of place. There wasn't even a sign of a struggle. Next, they looked at her digital footprint and records. The last thing that she posted online was a selfie with the caption, ready for my date. Further digging would reveal that she had been messaging a woman she'd met on Tinder. This woman went by the name Audrey. They had met for a date once before and were planning on meeting up again on November 15th. As the days were going by and her family began to worry more and more, they turned to social media and Facebook, asking for help in the search for their daughter, Sydney. Soon, the FBI even got involved. They actually found more information on Sydney's phone data, which showed that her phone pinged about 40 miles south of Lincoln. This would be a little town called Wilbur. Now specifically, the ping occurred at the apartment of a couple, and that would be Bailey Boswell, who was 23, and Aubrey Trail, who was 51. Bailey and Aubrey had an extensive criminal history. A little bit of theft, a few scams, some money fraud, all across several states, by the way. But they had never ever done anything even remotely violent. When police did head over to the apartment to question them, the couple were nowhere to be found. The landlord, however, pointed out that the apartment had smelled pretty strongly of bleach. So, this was enough for the police to get a search warrant. Inside the basement apartment, the smell of bleach was so overpowering. And they noticed that one room had been meticulously cleaned, including the walls up to the ceiling completely scrubbed, while the rest of the apartment was cluddled, cl cluddled? cluttered and, well, <laughs> grimy. 
By the way, let's not focus on my flub there. Words are difficult sometimes. It did also look as though the couple had skedaddled in a bit of a hurry. Police did find some items that rang alarm bells, like a dog leash, which would be completely normal if they had a dog. They were probably into some freaky shit. A little bit of duct tape. A sauna suit, except the crotch part of it was cut out. Like I said, they're in some kinky shit. Few zip ties, a hatchet, a plastic drop cloth that was also covered in blood, and a book about anatomy. Fearing the worst, police began the search for Sydney Loof around Wilbur, Nebraska, and her case broke wide open in the public eye. After the case went public, videos of Bailey and Aubrey began surfacing on social media. In the videos, the couple was stating their innocence. Bailey was wearing a large black hoodie and large sunglasses. She said that she had smoked pot and done a few other drugs with Sydney on their date. She said after their date, she had then dropped Sydney off at a friend's house. Aubrey had his face, however, fully visible unlike Bailey. He admitted to being a thief but swore he was no murderer. The couple said they weren't running or hiding from the law, but they did say they couldn't go home because the local media had been very prejudiced and everyone around them had turned on them. Oh, that's so sad. Excuse me, while well, nobody gives a fuck. So police decided to use subpoenaed cell phone data and they were able to trace the couple's movements across several states. The couple ended up in Branson, Missouri, and that is where their past would end up slamming them in the face. They were arrested on a previous warrant for stealing several gold coins. Then they transported those coins across state lines and that makes it even worse. So they were taken in on that. Now with the couple in custody, the case would move forward, but nobody could have ever expected the way the case would eventually end up. Bailey's cell phone data did more than just reveal where the couple was. The data also revealed that on the day of Sydney being reported missing, Bailey had driven around 200 miles on various different dirt roads in Clay County, Nebraska. When investigators followed this digital trail, they soon found what they were looking for when they followed the trail and found a ditch on an isolated dirt road, and they noticed that something was sticking out of this ditch, something that shouldn't be there, you know, like a human arm. And this was coming out of a trash bag. Further search in and around this ditch found human remains. They were in 13 separate garbage bags and all near the roads that Bailey's phone had pinged him from. The remains were identified as Sydney's. And this is where it gets even weirder. Hi folks, Aubrey Trail here. A uh, few little things I want to talk about. I've been watching all day. I just watched the news. That's why I'm making this. But I've been watching a lot of posts and comments today. So, so far today, from the comments, uh, we have apparently murdered this lady. Just curious, are we not allowed to tell our side of this? And of course, again, I'm just a criminal, so you're going to believe none of this. And I guess it's really irrelevant because we've pretty much decided to turn ourselves in and see where this goes. If I'm a thief, I'm a thief. But I'd be goddamned I've never killed anyone in my life. I've never hurt a female in my life. So take that for whatever the hell it's worth. I'm a crook. I'm a thief. I've been all my life. Okay. But I'm not what you're trying to make me out to be.
you say we're disgusting, that you guys are pissed at us. I don't think we're the disgusting ones because what the fuck happened to America? Trial, freedom of speech. What happened to not guilty until proven guilty? And this is what I look like. You say we're hiding. This is what blue eyes, teeth, brown hair, high, not hiding at all. Have a nice day. Not all of Sydney's remains would be discovered. Like, to this day, her upper left arm and her inner organs have never been found. However, it was rather obvious that Aubrey and Bailey were the murderers. In June of 2019, the trial would begin for Aubrey, which would shortly be followed by Bailey's. And I totally meant to say shortly, but we're gonna ignore that I said shortly. This trial is crazy. Like I could do a whole episode on this murder, but I'm gonna completely kind of pull this down into a summary. Many women began to come forward about Bailey and Aubrey. All in this trial, they were witnesses and they had some bizarre things to say. The testimonies were used to prove that not only was Sydney's murder premeditated, but that Aubrey's motive was beyond fucking weird. All of the women were in their early 20s and they testified that they had first met Bailey through Tinder and that later Aubrey would be introduced to them. Aubrey? I said Audrey, I think. Whoopsies. Anyways, they actually were told that Bailey had Aubrey around as a, it was like he was her boyfriend, but he was more of her sugar daddy. She said that he was giving her $150 to $200 a week, and if they wanted in on that action, they totally could. Side note, I have never been a sugar baby, but I did have a best friend in the past that was, and I do believe that $150 to $200 is more like Splenda Papa money, not sugar daddy shit. This girl had a Bentley, her own house, and was being paid almost $4,000 a week. Yeah, $150 and $200 ain't shit. Anyways, I'm gonna continue because I don't know what I'm talking about. Never been a sugar baby, but I really feel like that's not a lot of money. Now, in exchange for the money and uh, being a sugar baby, they were expected to engage in group sex, you know, with Aubrey and Bailey. The women had to refer to the couple as daddy and mommy. Oh my God, that's nasty. I could not ever be in a climactic sexual moment and be like mm, daddy mom i can't do it i feel like i need to go bathe in bleach oh my god anyways now that i've made this episode sufficiently uncomfortable now these women were also supposed to carry out illegal scams and fraud with the couple which they did they joined in for a while and as time went on the rules of the relationship began to get more well controlling and they began to be told that they were forbidden from stuff they couldn't go out with any other man. They began to have to ask permission to do anything. They'd be locked outside of the couple's home, or if they went out with a the couple, they would have to sleep outside of the motel rooms. They were expected to check in via text or phone every three hours, and if they didn't, they'd be punished. And this was only the beginning. You see, Aubrey had actually told these women that he was a, uh, a vampire. Or, as Suki Stackhouse would say, vampire. And now the women were witches who belonged in his cult because that's obviously how this shit works. I mean, I guess if you've never found like a real vampire, uh, you could kind of make up the rules as you go because who's gonna tell you that you're incorrect? 
we're talking about lore here and uh, false fake creatures, entities, so like anything goes. If he wants to make witches because he says, boom, you're a witch now and I'm a vampire, sure. I mean, it doesn't mean it's true, but in his world, 100% could be. Not like there's a guide to this shit. Now, he did say that he had supernatural powers and that he could fly mm -hmm, and he could read minds. What am I thinking now, Aubrey? Hmm? Yeah, that's right, you're a bitch, you got it, correct. The woman did tell that Aubrey told them that they needed to torture and kill someone in order to gain even more power. And if he filmed it, they could sell the footage for like a million dollars and then they could split it equally among them. He even said he knew who some of the victims could be. And the women decided right around November of 2017, just before the murder occurred, they left the cult. Perfect timing because shortly later, well, <laughs> somebody was killed and Aubrey and Bailey were the ones who seemed to be perpetrating it. I guess I could have just said the perpetrators. At this point, they had enough to go on and well, the couple was found guilty. Although Aubrey suffered two heart attacks and a stroke during his trial, which actually only lasted about three weeks. In the end, the jury returned, like I said, a guilty verdict on all counts that he was charged with. He was sentenced to death. Bailey stood trial and she was also found guilty. She would end up being the first woman in Nebraska's history to ever be sentenced to death. I know that one was a little bit longer, but we got more and I'm not even gonna talk about all of them because if I did, I feel like this episode would never end because bitches be crazy out there. Bitches are murkin' bitches. Why do I keep saying bitches? I don't know, bitches, we're gonna move forward. Love you, Pookie, I didn't mean to call you a bitch, I'm sorry. I suspect he would have gone on killing without any hesitation for as long as he could have got away with it. Let's talk about a serial killer. Stephen Port was born in South End-on-Sea, Essex. At a year old, him and his family moved to Dangenham, which is located in East London. He grew up there and his parents actually still live there at the time, at least that he was charged with everything. He was described as being a loner and was often bullied at school during childhood. Former teachers described him as having a personality of very quiet and just insociable. His neighbors even described him as having a peculiar personality. He came off very childlike and exhibited extremely odd behavior as a grown man. He played with children's toys, which actually became a obsession of his into his adulthood. Okay, like to each his own, but also that's fucking weird. After he left school around 16 years old, he went to college for art. But this ended up being too expensive for his parents and he spent two years training as a chef instead. Side note, I worked for a couple many, many years ago that were pretty well off and I remember that the father looked at me and was like, I am gonna write my kids out of their trust and money if they ever become a chef. I have that in my will. If my kids ever decide to be a chef, they lose everything. And I was just like, that's where you draw the line? Them chasing their dreams? And God forbid it's cooking? Wow. Anyways, I don't know why I wanted to tell you all that, but I did. Here you go, let's continue. And the reason that the relationship actually ended was because he came out as gay. It's the, the, the partner was a woman and Steven was like, hey, you're cool, but I don't like you, I'm sorry. And they ended. However, the realest 
realist. The real problem in her mind when they were dating, because she didn't realize at all that he was into men, was that he had this personality of a kid. He was a grown man-child, but he didn't just act like a grown man-child. He was literally playing with toys and didn't want responsibility. He would end up living with his parents until his 30s? Then he ended up living alone in a flat in Barking, London. He was also working as a chef in West Ham. He did briefly appear on an episode of MasterChef, by the way. Steven, fun fact, was bald, and he would disguise this in public by wearing a blonde toupee. The hairpiece wasn't just one that you popped on your head, like it was professionally installed. These are called quiffs, 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 not queefs. That's totally the wrong thing. I'm so sorry. A quiff, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that, is um, something that is actually professionally installed. It's like glued to the head and it has to be redone. And this is what he had. He did this in order to have confidence when he met men, which I understand if you have an insecurity, you definitely want to fix it. And this is how he did. Now let's talk about the men he met and well, the victims. And then what would the outcome be? The ambulance for theater emergency. Cook Street was a young boy because he's trapped outside. I don't know. Outside of which number? Uh, 4758. Sorry? 4758, I think. 4758, Cook Street. Yeah. What, what area? Parking. Okay. It looks like he's trapped or had a seizure or something. He's just always just drunk. Like, yeah. Stephen met his victims online, obviously, because that's why we're here. With a name like the Grinder Killer, I'm pretty sure I don't have to tell you where he met them. It's kind of right there. In the name. He would construct biographies in which he made false claims about his life, including one in which he pretended to have graduated from Oxford University and served in the Royal Navy. In another, he gave his occupation as a special needs teacher. Oh, what a good guy. Stephen used gamma hydroxybutrate acid as a date rape drug. This is also known as GHB for those of you who have no idea. I think I actually said that incorrectly. It's hydroxybutyric. I apologize, butyric. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Let's move on because words are difficult. He would add this, by the way, to his victims' drinks. After he did this, he would rape them and then murder them. The prosecution said that the post-mortem examinations of the four men who met this grisly fate right there in that apartment each had died from a drug overdose featuring high levels of GHB. Steven also used other drugs on his victims as well, like amyl nitrate, which is poppers. I, I don't, I've never, I don't know. I don't, I don't do drugs. He would use Viagra as well. He would give them mephedron and methamphetamine, you know, crystal meth, just in case you didn't know. He was really doing some bad, being a total fucking monster, if you will. Stephen contacted his first victim, Anthony Walgate, who was 23 and a fashion student originally from Hull. 
On occasion, he did work as an escort. On June 17th of 2014, he was offered 900 pounds from Mr. Stephen for his services. Anthony and Stephen would end up meeting at Barking Station that night. The two left and headed off to Stephen's flat, where Stephen went on to drug Anthony with GHB and would rape him, then kill him. And I, the details are gruesome and grim. I don't really like talking about rape in any form and then what carried on after the fact. Just know it's absolutely brutal. He drugged him and he did horrific things and then he dragged him out of his apartment, brought him down to the pavement outside, and then used his phone to call the police didn't give out any personal information and hung up just in time. When police arrived, there was not a lot of evidence linking Stephen to the death and what was there really just kind of fell to the wayside. You guys remember Jeffrey Dahmer and how shit was ignored and just overlooked? That's what kind of happened here because it was gay men being murdered. Who wants to care about that? God, I hate people in society. Lives are still being brutally lost here, people. Every single life matters. And if you disagree, you can blow it out your ass. Cause we here on What the Actual F give a fuck about people. Steven was convicted though of perverting the course of justice in March of 2015. This was in Anthony's death and there still are other deaths I'm gonna tell you about that he, well, he committed. But he could never get his story straight on exactly what happened to Anthony, which is why the details are gruesome, but we're not even positive what really went down. He was sentenced to eight months because I don't know, but he was released and uh, electronically tagged. And let's continue. Because between August of 2014 and September of 2015, Stephen would murder three more men. Gabriel Kavari, who was 22, he'd moved to London from Slovakia. He briefly lived with Stephen. Then there was Daniel Whiteworth, who was 21 and from Gravesend in Kent. Then there's Daniel Whiteworth, who was 21 from Gravesend in Kent. I don't even know if I just said that or not. I'm so sorry. I'll find out when I edit and maybe I'll leave it. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Now the two bonded over the fact that they were chefs and they met, hung out, and guess what? He was never seen again. I mean, he was found dead, but he was never seen again, alive. Then the final victim is Jack Taylor. He lived with his parents, he was 25, and he worked as a forklift truck driver. The bodies of the second and the third victims were found in the graveyard of the Church of St. Margaret of Antioch. I'm sorry, I had to pause for a second because I literally was about to sneeze as I was speaking and I could feel it coming and I didn't want to sneeze in your ear. These bodies were found by the same woman on separate occasions as she was walking her dog. And then the last victim was found in a parking adjacent to the graveyard. Stephen had planted a fake suicide note, however, next to Daniel Whiteworth's body. In this little note, he put that he was responsible for the death of Gabriel Kavari and that he was killing himself out of guilt. In 2015, Stephen would be charged with four counts of murder. And this was after an extremely long, horrific, dropped, botched investigation and complete ignorance by the police who did have to shell out good amount of financial compensation to the victim's families. All because they saw gay men being murdered and were like, we don't wanna care about that. Again, have I ever mentioned how much I dislike people? On November 23rd of 2016, Stephen was convicted of the assaults by penetration, rapes, and murders of Anthony, Gabriel, Daniel, and Jack, as well as the rape of three other men that he had actually drugged and then 10 counts of administering a substance with intent for sexual assault. 
He was found guilty on all counts. In total, there were 11 victims of Stephen's crimes. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life order as in he'll never, ever, ever be able to be released. To this day, while incarcerated, he maintains his utmost and absolute innocence. Because, of course he does. Hey, Rossi, 911, where's your emergency? Um, it's the good one. Um, I'm here in Detroit. I'm from New York. And I met this guy at the bus station. He wants me to need a ride. And I'm not even sure where I am. Well, I broke out of the smoking bus. And I need a ride. Okay. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I can't find my way back to his place if I wanted to. It's hard. I need help. Okay, I'm going to get you help. Are you walking down the street right now? Yes, ma'am, I am. I don't know whether he drugged me. I know that audio probably sounds a bit rough and you're probably thinking, Harmony, you, you could fix that, right? Like that's, that's all you. No, if it sounds blown out and a bit distorted, that is the actual call from the dispatch. The audio being all up here like this. I can't do anything about it because that is straight from the call. However, this is definitely the worst case that I have for you today. And if I'm saying that, that's meaning something. 25-year-old Kevin Bacon. No, 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 not that one. This is a whole other one. Kevin, he was on Grindr and he had found himself a real attractive guy. They were chatting, it was Christmas Eve, and they were, they were hitting it off really well, actually. In fact, Kevin had actually talked to his friend Michelle all about this little mystery man that he was going to go meet. They were going to have a date in person, but, but he didn't tell his friend Michelle where they were going. He did drive 30 minutes to Maurice, Michigan to hopefully meet the man of his dreams. Once Kevin stepped foot in his grinder's date's house, he texted Michelle at 612 and said that he was having so much fun and that she didn't even have to wait up for him anymore. He would tell her everything later. However, this would end up being a huge mistake. Because not long after he had set foot in this apartment, well, he vanished. When Kevin didn't show up for his family's Christmas brunch, his dad called Michelle to see what was going on. She checked his bed because they were living together and it showed no signs that Kevin came home to sleep in it. Maybe he stayed over and was just having a great time. Except that's not at all what anyone thought because he would have reached out and said something. So she looked for his car. She started kind of having a little bit of a panic because it wasn't where it should be. Michelle tried calling him, but there was no answer. This is when she started to become rather suspicious. Something had to be wrong, and she reported back to his father that, hey, last night he had kind of matched with somebody, and he went out there, and now he's not here. Maybe we should get the police involved. And that's exactly what Kevin's dad did. He called the Clayton Township Police and reported Kevin missing. 
Still in Tuskegee on December 24, 2019, were you at 703 West Terrell in Morris, Michigan? Yes, I was. To your knowledge, is that in Shiawassee County? Yes, it is. On that date, were you with Kevin Bacon? Yes, I was. Did you use a knife to stab Mr. Bacon? Yes, I did. Did you know that stabbing Mr. Bacon with a knife would most certainly create a very high risk of death or great bodily harm to Mr. Bacon? Yes, I did. After Mr. Bacon was dead, did you remove part of his body, specifically his testicles? Yes, I did. Did you move those testicles to the kitchen? Yes, I did. Did you do so without legal authorization, meaning you were not doing so to embalm Mr. Bacon's body or to do a proper post-mortem examination? No, I didn't. Your Honor, I believe that's uh, sufficient factual basis for both counts. Just three days after Kevin was reported missing, he would be found. He was in Mark Latunsky's basement, and he was dead. His throat was slit and his testicles were missing. Mark Latunsky would tell police that he'd eaten Kevin's testicles and planned to use his bones and blood to fertilize his plants and his muscles by making jerky with it. He was charged with homicide and mutilation of a dead body. Latunsky was initially found incompetent to stand trial in 2020, but the court later reversed this decision. It's really hard to be proven mentally incapable of standing trial for your actions. Like There are people that actually are diagnosed with mental illnesses and they still have to face a jury for what they did. Kevin wasn't the first victim of Marks, as you heard the audio earlier, this was another person who was almost murdered by Mark, right there in the basement of the same house. Quote, I'm trying to get away from some creepy guy. He had me tied up in his basement. No charges were filed in this case though. A state police lieutenant actually addressed this. He said that basically a lot of times people have very professional lives and personal lives and they don't want to intertwine the two. Their personal life is very secret and very protected, especially if they aren't like publicly out and they keep things like that. So more than likely they were just like, I'm gonna deal with this on my own, don't worry about it. And for some reason the police were like, okay, I don't know why because I don't really know of many cases if it was flipped if it was a woman who'd been attacked the police would be like okay but i don't know let's continue mark latunsky would actually be found guilty because he'd admit his guilt in court three years after the murder of kevin he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole he also had 11 months added on there as well for another charge. I'll never understand why they do that. Like they add time, like you're serving, what, why would you, this is gonna be the rest of your life plus like a few more months, you know, because in case we wanna bring your dead body in here. I've never understood that. Just if you're giving them life, how can you add more? It's life, it's right there. I'm so confused by that. But anyways, he got life plus 11 months. Sorry for the rant there, I just felt the need to do it. There were a few cases of why I don't use dating apps and I'm terrified of them, already terrified of men in general. Sorry guys, y'all are awesome, fantastic, but you're also really scary because some of you are really, really bad and some of you are amazing. Just like women, we some crazy bitches, but some of us are also really nice. <clears throat> it depends if you feed us, okay? You have to feed us, make sure you feed us. Some Tinder dates turn into one-night stands. 
But some turn it. All right, pull your hat chits It starts with a swipe. And there you have it. Just a small little handful of stories as to why I am terrified of using dating apps. Listen, if you are my soulmate, the love of my life, the person I am supposed to be with forever, I'm gonna go ahead and need you to stop trying to push on that pool door, ask for some directions, and come mosey on up to my house, knock on the door, and tell me you are ready. Otherwise, I'm never gonna find you because I don't leave my house and I am not getting on a dating app. So... <laughs> Good luck on that door, baby. I'm waiting. <laughs> Anyways, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of What the Actual Left. I really feel grim and dark saying that most of the time because the things I talk about aren't exactly puppy dogs and hugs. We talk about downright evil shit. However, as long as you continue to have an interest in it, and well, me too, I'll be here to tell you more and more about it every week. All the evil going on, disappearances, mysteries, hauntings, conspiracies, and murders happening all over the globe. I got you. However, until next week, if you want to send me a message, have me look into something, tell me about a creepy mystery that you know of, or, you know, just say hi. You can message me at whatstheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. Feel free as well if you'd like to follow me on social media on Instagram at ohheyitsharmony. And as long as we have TikTok, I'll still be there by the same handle over there. And yes, I said there and over there, kind of making that sentence redundant, but hey, it's, it's okay. It's the morning and I'm only a little bit into my coffee. This podcast has taken me two days to create, so please bear with me. Been one of those weeks. So I will talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual F and please stay safe if you are on apps, you know, have fun, find your special somebody, go out on those dates, but also use protection. And I'm not just talking about condoms. I'm not saying you need to bring two bang bang sticks if you catch my drift. I'm just saying, if you're gonna go out with a stranger, just have a fallback. And it might not need to be just a condom, okay? Maybe a knife, some mace, a gun nunchucks, a chair, whatever you can use. Hell, pull a Chuck Norris, use your hands, or pull Chuck Norris from your back pocket. Anyways, stay safe, because I never want to tell a story about you. I love you, and I can't wait to talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual Left. Love you. Later. Bye.